welcome to Wooden Teeth, the podcast about truth-telling on politics and health. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today's truth. Social media is having a negative impact on the mental health of youth across the country. If, like me, you're the parent of a teenager, maybe you see this in your own household. If you have doubts, this negative impact has been confirmed by multiple peer-reviewed studies, many of which were cited in a U.S. Surgeon General advisory that was issued this year. Even the social media companies themselves know this truth. According to one presentation slide obtained by the Wall Street Journal on internal research by Instagram's own parent company, quote, 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. So what can we do to protect our youth from this public health threat? That's the topic I discussed with Danny Weiss, Chief Advocacy Officer for Common Sense Media, Before serving in this role, Danny had three decades of experience on Capitol Hill, including as Chief of Staff to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I learned a lot in this conversation. I think you're going to as well. And you can find out how to get connected with Common Sense Media's advocacy efforts in the course of our chat. So let's get to it. Danny Weiss, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, Jake. So when I was a kid, I admit I would spend hours, days, nights uh, playing Nintendo. And I remember my parents and their generation lamenting that the brains of kids like me would rot as a result. Uh, but I turned out more or less fine. So today, do you think that maybe we worry too much about kids' use of social media? What's the difference between what I was doing and what my kids are doing? Well, that's a great question. Um, There is a difference. Um, If you grew up watching a lot of television or playing video games in their earlier phases uh, of development, um, there was something a little less intense about it. It seemed very intense to parents. I certainly had plenty of uh, struggles with my own children when they were younger about uh, screen time, and that was largely around uh, you know, are you going to watch another episode of their favorite show and that sort of thing? Um, social media and uh, advanced technology is different because of the intensity that it brings and the individual nature of it. You, a, a young person, can be alone on their phone or alone on their computer or notebook um, for hours at a time without anybody knowing what they're up to. Uh, or who they're communicating with. And there is a difference in the way the information comes across. If I say to you, to your face, for example, hey, Jake, you know, I didn't like what you said to me earlier today. If I instead say on a text thread or on an Instagram post or a Snapchat, I didn't like what Jake said to me, it has a hugely different impact on the person who was the subject of that message. Mm-hmm. And we found common sense media has found in its own research that, for example, 57% of teens said that social media is distracting them from doing their homework. 54% of them admitted that sometimes they ignored people that they were with just so they could browse social media. It would be harder to do that if you were in a group playing a game or if you were in a group watching television. Point taken. Uh, U.S. Surgeon General uh, seems to agree about this outsized impact. 
they released an advisory this year that summarized scientific research on this topic. Part of the advisory dealt with what I'd call quantity, as in how excess social media use by youth can lead to bad outcomes. For example, one study showed that when an adolescent uses social media more than three hours a day, their risk of poor mental health outcomes like anxiety and depression are doubled. Why does excess use manifest in these types of outcomes? Well, there's, there is something about the nature of this technology that um, can both, you know, again, it can be very positive. We all, we all, I, I think we all, would all agree with that, that this uh, advanced technology, the ability to be online all the time, the ability to get information anytime you want is obviously, uh, can be extremely helpful. The downside of it, though, is that it can exacerbate feelings that you're already having. So mm -hmm. not all children experience feelings of loneliness when they spend a lot of time online, just like not all children who might be heavy readers and read three hours at a time with their nose in a book don't necessarily come away from that uh, not wanting to be social at other times. What social media and technology do is they tend to exacerbate feelings that some kids already have. So, uh, for example, in another study, there was something like among girls who already had symptoms of depression, seven in 10 of them who used Instagram and TikTok said they came across really problematic content. 45% of those girls said that TikTok made them feel addicted didn't say 100% of the girls made them feel addicted. There is something about the technology that can give you that that uh, upper feeling, you know, that really high rush. Oh, my God, look, I got um, 100 likes on a post. You know, that's a for take a even for adults, right? How many adults do we know who when they post something online are either disappointed that nobody liked their picture of their family vacation yeah, or that you got a hundred likes. Yeah, these these are these feelings are are even stronger for children whose brains are still developing, and that's the case for basically almost everybody under the age of twenty five. Their brains are still developing, and this technology really does uh, prey on, in a way, intentionally. And we can get to that later, but it does prey on the fact that brains are still developing for these younger users. So there really is a difference. I mean, not the, not to say that, for example, my own use of social media um, can't be critiqued and it's probably not great for me, but there really is a difference when it comes to brain development and the effect that the use of these platforms have on a kid or uh, when I say kid, actually, I, you, you referenced all the way up till 25. I feel like most people don't realize that your brain is still, you know, developing uh, up until that age. Um, and there really is a distinction, it sounds like, between um, kids or youth uh, and adults when it comes to the impact here. Yes, absolutely. And that is one of the things that um, people involved in the healthcare field, in the mental health services field, uh, in advocacy around tech policy and lawmakers in, in states and at the federal level really need to drill down on. So a child's brain is still developing, teenagers' brains are still developing. When they see something online, they might not be able to distinguish between whether it was, for example, an advertisement 
to click on this and go buy something or another piece of content, maybe a piece of information or a funny joke. That is one of the reasons why we support and other people support limiting or banning advertisements that are targeted at young people. They really can't tell the difference. A lot of adults can't tell the difference. And now ads are designed in such clever ways that you might be reading a newsletter, for example, and there'll be a break in the middle and it'll look just like another item of the newsletter. But in fact, it's an advertisement from a company and they want you to click on it. Kids are very vulnerable to that and they don't know uh, enough what to stay away from. You know, social media going on Instagram and Hulu and Snap and all the streaming companies and media platforms, it's like being in a giant candy store. There's no limit to what you can access in there. And we know what it's like if you let a kid go alone into a candy store. It doesn't usually turn out to be uh, great. It's not bad for all kids, but some kids might walk out with their pockets full and and uh, might not be a great um, outcome for them. And so you'd say that the the scientific and political argument for making this type of prohibition and on these platforms, say, uh, versus TV or, or radio, for example, is because of the unique characteristics of the platform itself. Exactly. The platforms have um, specific design features that maximize the amount of time a person, a user, will spend on that site. The goal of social media platforms is to maximize engagement. And you maximize engagement by designing your site. For example, if you watch one video, another video will play automatically. YouTube was, I think, maybe the first one to really make that popular. But um, nudges, auto-scroll, features like that that keep the user engaged instead of I watched a video, it stopped and nothing else happened. It was up to the user to decide what they want to do next. The other difference is that on, you know, we do have, they're old, but we do have laws that um, prohibit um, advertising uh, on television uh, to minors outside, you know, uh, controlling the type of advertisements that minors would see on shows that are intentionally designed for children. So we decided a long time ago that we could affect television. Now television is really one of the last places that many kids are gonna go for entertainment. They'll probably be on a, on a tablet of some kind or a phone. Um, and we haven't updated the laws that regulate the, the access that those kids have to content that's unhealthy for them. Let's talk about other types of unhealthy content. We talked a little bit about ads, but what other types of troublesome content uh, is prevalent on these platforms that kids engage on? You know, one of the areas that we're most concerned about um, has to do with the uh, with eating disorders. And um, there we Common Sense Media works uh, closely with other organizations. There's a, a coalition of organizations around eating disorders. There's the American Psychological Association, American Academy of Pediatricians, um, we work with groups like that to highlight the fact that when you go on, if a user, a young user goes on TikTok or Instagram, for example, um, the chances of them seeing uh, a piece of content, particularly for girls, that is related to dieting and then from there to eating disorders uh, is really prevalent. And the 
the problem is that if you were to say, for example, let's say you type in, um, I'm concerned about my weight or I'm concerned about what I'm eating and you're a teenager or a girl, you're, it's very unlikely that you're going to be kept in a place that is nurturing and helpful. It's ex- much more likely that from that question, you will be sent to places that might even educate you about how to be anorexic, mm-hmm. how to hide the fact that you don't want to eat food. I mean, these these sites have been documented. This type of information requests and the information that comes back have been documented that you can easily be taken to a place that is unhealthy for a teenager and especially for a teenage girl. So that's one. The whole idea of what is beauty, you know, uh, what is health. This social media has a way of distorting those questions. You'd much rather be sitting with your family or friends or a group of um, teenagers that you can trust and talk about how do we feel about the way we look? How do we feel about our weight? You know, uh, skinny, heavy, whatever it is. You go on social media and all of a sudden it's directed for you to a particular place that will maximize your engagement and maximize advertising revenue for the companies. In the end, advertising revenue is what drives social media design and features because that's how you pay for it. We don't pay for Instagram. We don't pay for Facebook, but we are giving them enormous profit by the fact that we stay on their sites. Let's talk about the politics of how we engage this issue in a way that enforces appropriate uh, regulations and what that would actually mean for the industry. You just pointed out that this sort of advertising is kind of fundamental uh, to their model. And if we were to prohibit these companies from targeting kids with these ads, is that an existential threat for social media? It's a good question. Um, our view is that banning targeted ads to kids, let's say under 16 or under 18, is not an existential threat to the industry, that they are in fact, misrepresenting how important ads are to their bottom line. But they're so deeply entrenched in this advertising model that it's hard for them to take a closer look at it. Uh, There are um, different studies on the financial benefits of targeting ads to young people. It's a mixed bag. We have done some of our own research that shows that it's not as financially beneficial to companies as they think, but it is their model. On the other hand, it's very clear that targeting ads to teenagers is really unhealthy for them, teenagers and and even younger. It's very unhealthy for them. So we're strongly encouraging, and I I don't think industry would, uh, we're strongly encouraging banning of targeting ads. I don't think industry would uh, draw a line in the sand over this issue. It's included in different pieces of legislation. I think um, it's a question of what else you're going to do to what other requirements or regulations you would impose on social media companies in addition to that. But that issue alone of the of banning targeted ads is one I think we can really win on and that companies can live with. Let's talk about educating kids and parents about how to safely use these platforms. Now, I've been meeting uh, with school officials around the state about this issue, um, including in my home, home school district. And um, in trading notes with uh, somebody in my own school district, we both agreed that 
if the district were to put on, say, a seminar for uh, parents on how to guide safe use for their kids on social media, it would be the best attended seminar for parents in the history of the school district. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of parents uh, of kids my age are uh, kind of in this same boat and are looking for, you know, guidance. And so I was really interested to see um, common sense uh, media take on this development of curriculum um, for awareness around cybersecurity for teachers, students, and parents of K through 12 students. Can you uh, share a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think this topic does really touch at the, it pulls at the heartstrings of caregivers, whether parents, grandparents, and others that are watching out for, for younger people, um, partly because if you're older, you don't really understand the technology very much, and yet you know that it's such a big part of young people's lives that you, you know, you wouldn't turn, you wouldn't give them keys to the car at a certain age, you would want to wait. And most, many parents and caregivers struggle with the very basic question of what's the right age to allow a young person to have a smartphone, for example. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a set age for that, but we do recommend that people have serious conversations about it. So at Common Sense Media, what we do is we have a digital citizenship program that is now in its 11th year, I believe. We just celebrated uh, 10 years of having digital citizenship. We're, we are in about, I don't know, 85,000 schools across the country. There's about 1.2 million teachers in the United States that use our digital citizen uh, curriculum. And what we offer is lesson plans that are incorporated throughout the year. Again, it's not as much as, you know, what you would get in math and English and history and science, but it is an element like, like health education or um, sex ed, if that's still offered, you know, in places. Um, there are um, six basic categories that we offer lessons in, and uh, they include media balance and well-being, privacy and security, what we call your digital footprint and identity, how much information, what type of information you're putting out into the world, uh, relationships and communication, that's really important. Um, cyberbullying, uh, news and media literacy. And now, as you just mentioned, we're increasing the amount of work we do around cybersecurity. We're finding that teachers in particular want to know more about that. And um, we will be uh, uh, sharing a curriculum soon around um, artificial intelligence and AI and what that is. But this digital citizenship, um, it's another word for it is digital literacy. In the end, what it's all about is the well-being of children. So you te we teach teachers how to teach children best practices with their technology. We're not in the schools ourselves, but we give the material to teachers and then they carry it on. It's, it's a very popular program. Um, it is spreading. We also do it in, um, in schools in the UK and some schools in the uh, European Union and we expect to increasingly uh, expand internationally. You mentioned the uh, artificial intelligence uh, program you're rolling out, which was also really interesting to me. Um, I've read there's a an AI ratings and review system that you're coming up with, and obviously this is a new frontier that, uh, again, could hold some promise. But also, uh, we've already seen 
some really disturbing things with deep fakes, et cetera. Um, so tell us more about this new AI program you have. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the you know, artificial intelligence has been around for a long time. Uh, if anybody um, saw 2001 Space Odyssey many years ago, you would remember the scene of Dave trying to get through the bay doors and how the computer won't let Dave get through and, and the, the computer had taken over. Um, that's, you know, a, a view that has existed for a long time about um, about advanced technology. But what's new in artificial intelligence is the creation of content with artificial intelligence, not just the operation of machines or the operation of activities. So this new AI, which is called generative AI, isn't very well understood by people. And it's also nascent. It's it's just beginning. And so what we're doing at Common Sense Media is two things. One is we've developed a literacy uh, program that will be available in later in 2023 and then in the years ahead to help teachers and students better understand, first of all, what is this technology? What are some uses of it that um, might that people might find practical and beneficial? And then what are some things that people should be concerned about? Um, we're not... Um, drawing hard and fast lines, but we are trying to educate people. The ratings and reviews are going to be about different AI products like ChatGPT or another product, Dahlia, things like that. Um, we are well, Common Sense is very well known for ratings and reviews that we have always done for mm -hmm. uh, media and entertainment and um, even books and games. Most people know Common Sense Media first and foremost, for our ratings and reviews, if you're a parent or a caregiver and your kid says, uh, your eight-year-old says, I want to watch Fast and Furious 3, the caregiver might go to Common Sense Media and check it out and see what we've said about that movie, whether it's appropriate uh, for a younger person. That's a very common way that people know our stuff. So we also rate educational technology um, products that are used in schools. We rate them for their privacy and security, for example, and um, companies want our seal of approval, essentially, and they either get it or they don't. We, they, they'll share their product with us, we'll review it, and then it's available for all to see. If you're a teacher in a school and you want to start using a new ed tech product, you might come to Common Sense Education and take a look. That will be the same idea with the um, AI ratings and reviews. We won't be able to obviously do all of them, but... Um, this year, we will have about eight to 10 reviews uh, to go out of the box with, and we will learn from those ourselves. That's exciting. And I just want to apologize to you as a representative of Common Sense Media, because I can't tell you how many times my wife has cited Common Sense Media uh, in the reviews of a movie. And I try to put, you know, to pick apart like, well, maybe the violence isn't that bad, et cetera, just because I want to watch some action movie with my kids. But I I do appreciate your work and uh, sorry for trying to circumnavigate uh, your you know, warnings. Uh, well, right back at you. I'm sorry that we exist for you. And uh, we're glad that we exist for everyone else who has to, uh, <laughs> has to struggle with it. But, you know, those, those ratings and reviews are, are um, they cover, the media ratings and reviews cover things that people feel like are real in their day-to-day -day life. You know, we're not yeah. telling, we don't tell anybody do or do not watch a movie. We just tell you, if you watch yeah. this movie, this is what you're going to experience. And you will you can find us different places. You'll see a, 
a green circle and a white check, um, depending on what kind of uh, um, streaming service you're using or cable company. Um, we're in a section that has more information about what you're watching. But one of the most more recent things we added, which we, we think has been very popular to those ratings and reviews is um, race and representation. It's how much are you seeing yourself in this show? Mm -hmm. If you're, what kind of kid are you? Are you represented or not represented uh, in that program? That's important to a lot of caregivers too, that they want to know um, what their kids are seeing. Let's get back to public policy. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, prohibiting uh, the targeting of ads to kids. There's been some other action uh, taken in states around the country as well. For example, Utah passed a law that requires age verification when using these platforms, as well as the permission of a parent or guardian for uh, users under 18. Uh, I think it also mandates that parents and guardians have full access to their child's account. What do you think about policy like this? And what's a, a smart way forward uh, beyond the ad prohibition we talked about? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, the, a lot of states are taking action. Partly they're doing that because it's taking the federal government um, too long to get around to, to doing it. So in the absence of federal action, um, states are are doing things. We don't support uh, all the actions that states are taking. Um, in Utah, for example, they passed two bills that were signed into law. One of them would hold social media companies liable for addictive features. If, if you can demonstrate a district attorney or the state attorney general or in, in, in fact, even a parent can bring a case under the Utah law, which is very powerful. If you can demonstrate that your uh, child or teenager developed um, seriously addictive symptoms, potentially suicidal behavior as a result of uh, interactions with social media, you can bring a case against that company. They would have the right to fix what that feature, but if they don't fix that feature, they could be held liable. We support that. We've supported it in California. We've supported it in Utah and other states. What we don't support, though, is this notion that you should place the onus on parents or caregivers for the nature of the social media platform and what kids are doing. So, no, we do not support the idea that parents um, should be allowed to give to be required, essentially, to give permission to anyone under 18 to be on a social media platform. And we certainly don't support the idea that parents should be allowed to uh, look at all of the social media content that a teenager uh, is writing and looking at on social media. That is going to create serious health problems in, in the family and for the user, the young user. And there's other ways, uh, better ways uh, to go about it. But Utah has done that. Arkansas is doing that. The thing that happens when states pass these laws is the tech industry immediately sues to stop the laws. So in Arkansas, for example, they have an age verification requirement, which would require you to place additional information about yourself online in order to prove your age. This is a complicated subject matter that I don't think is ready yet for the public policy space. I do think it needs to be figured out. Like, how do you demonstrate that someone is in fact under 13 or over 13 or under 16 or over 16. But the tech industry um, sued the state of Arkansas recently, and that law is um, temporarily barred from being implemented. 
over the issue of age verification, whether or not it's a violation of your First Amendment rights, having to divulge more information about yourself. But this is a big topic. Age verification is being tried in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's being looked at in the European Union. It's being looked at here in the United States. But it might be one of the things that has to be experimented with in the private sector a little bit more before it can be used in public policy. And why not give parents uh, access to social media accounts for minors? So today, it, it, today's world with uh, young people using social media, it has become a place of community for kids. I've described many of the ways in which social media can be unhealthy uh, for young users, but there's ways in which it can be very healthy. Um, not every kid has grown up is growing up in a family where their parents support everything that the kid wants to do, the teenager or the child. I'm not suggesting that um, that there's, I'm not talking about, you know, sort of criminal behavior or seriously unhealthy behavior, but there are a lot of teens who have found community online with people like themselves. You can have kids who are, for example, in the LGBTQ plus community, and maybe they're not in as supportive a family situation uh, as they would like to be, or that would be healthy for them. And they have found community online. And then the parent who is really struggling with who their kid is and not accepting who their kid is, sees them communicating with other kids that are more like their child. And that causes, you know, there can be very serious consequences for the child in that situation. That's not appropriate. Similarly, uh, you would never pass a state law that says parents have the right to read a children's diary. But that's essentially what social media has become for a lot of kids. It is their modern, modern day version of their personal diary. I think my daughter would agree with you. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I'm enlightened. I hope everybody listening is as well. And keep up the good work. Thank you, Jake. And, and thanks, for, uh, thanks for the opportunity. If I can put in one plug for people who want to either learn more or want to get involved in some of the state legislative and federal legislative work that we do, you can um, send us a note at advocacy at commonsense.org advocacy at commonsense.org and we'd love to follow up with you. One of the things we do is we like to collect stories from people uh, who have had positive or negative experiences on social media. Those personal stories of uh, are, are extremely helpful to us when we advocate in front of the state legislature or in front of Congress. Uh, so feel free to write to us and, um, and get involved. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. There you have it. If you want to sign up for Common Sense Media's newsletters, go to commonsensemedia.org forward slash newsletters. Also, if you want to email them directly, you can do that at advocacy at commonsensemedia.org. Thank you to Danny Weiss and Common Sense Media, and thanks to you for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe. I'll see you.